Well, welcome to the first Dishcast of the new year. I want to start by welcoming my guest, Shadi Hamid, who's come back because after the events of this week, I feel we should go over again just how deep a threat Donald Trump is, along with the Republican Party, to the stability, endurance, and integrity of what's left of America's liberal democracy. And I want to apologize a little bit because I can't disguise the fact that I am enraged right now, furious at what has just been done. The most sacred citadel of liberal democracy, a symbol of the peaceful transition of power, of debate, not violence, of order, not chaos, has been invaded, assaulted, and sacked by a mob that was directly commanded by the President of the United States, who told this crowd to go to the Capitol and be wild, who told them that the opposition was so tough that they couldn't afford to be weak. And as is often the case, was greeted by the unbelievable incompetence from those entrusted with the security of the Capitol building. I don't think this could have happened in any other Western democracy. I think if the Houses of Parliament had been stormed by a mob, the United Kingdom would be in complete crisis. But I don't think those liberal democracies are as failed and as corrupt and as incompetent as the one we are unfortunately doomed to live in. I'm angry because it has been absolutely clear from the minute this monster came down that escalator that this was his intent to undo American democracy. He has never said he would concede. He did not concede in advance of the 2016 election. In fact, he insisted that he would not honor the result if he didn't win. We've known this all the time. We have had a wannabe tyrant vandalizing every institution in our democracy, poisoning our entire country and bringing the reputation of the United States down to the level of a banana republic. Yes, I love this country. I love the principles on which it has been built. But this man has destroyed them, and he has done so with the willing, active, enthusiastic support of an entire political party. He turned it into a cult. He fed them after 60 lawsuits were perfectly legitimate to question the results of an election, perfectly legitimate to take election results to courts, to present evidence of fraud, 
or other irregularities as they are. Not just the whole process to invoke violence. And not just on any day, on the day the Congress would certify the results of the election. This was an attempted attack on the very core of our democracy. I'm going to read something I wrote not that long ago, but those of you who've read my stuff for the last few years know this is what I've been saying from the beginning. It's what I said as early as February 2016. This man is a tyrant. It doesn't mean that he has effectively created a tyranny, but he has spent every second of every day attempting to do so. He was and always has been an absurd as well as disgusting human being. But that's what tyrants are. And an attempt by a president to advance his own personal rule over every other principle in our constitution has also been greeted by some hysteria on, on the far left, yes, and with great enthusiasm on so much of the right, yes. But it is those in the middle, those who have been close to him, those who are around this town and knew what he was, know what he still is, and still dismissed, minimized, looked away, and attempted to persuade us that this emergency in American democracy, which has now been going on for five years, was not an emergency at all, that everything was fine, that our system was resilient, that it would continue without a hitch. These are absolutely classic phenomena associated with the rise of tyrants. Read Aristotle on tyranny. Read Plato on tyranny. Read Shakespeare on tyranny. I wrote a while back about the parallels between Donald Trump and Richard III. And this is what I wrote, and forgive me for repeating it. I did this before the election, when Barton Gelman's piece came out that people dismissed at the time as fantastical and paranoid, every single bit of which has been proven correct. Here's the piece. Denial, avoidance, distraction, willful ignorance, these are all essential to enabling a tyrant's rise. And keeping this pattern going is Richard III's profound grasp of the power of shock. He does and says the unexpected and unthinkable in order to stun his opponents into a kind of dazed passivity. It's this capacity to keep you on your heels, to keep disorienting you with the unacceptable, which is then somehow accepted, that marks a tyrant's relentless drive. He does this by instinct. He craves chaos, lies, suspense, surprises, not because he's a genius, but because stability threatens his psyche. He cannot rest. He is not in control of himself. This is what we've been dealing with 
in the figure of Donald Trump now for five years, and it is absurd to believe that a duly conducted election is going to end it. I know, I know, I'm hysterical and over the top and a victim of Trump derangement syndrome. Trump is simply too incompetent and too lazy to be an actual tyrant. I'm constantly scolded. He's just baiting me again and so on. But what I think this otherwise salient critique misses is that tyranny is not in its essence about the authoritarian administrative skills required to run a country effectively for a long time. Tyrants, after all, are often terrible at this. It's rather about a mindset, as the ancient philosophers understood, with obvious political consequences. It's a pathology. It requires no expertise in anything other than itself. You need competence if you want to run an effective government or plan a regular campaign or master policy with a view to persuading people or hold power for the sake of something else. You need competence to create and sustain something. But you do not need much competence to destroy things. You just need the will. And this is what tyrants do. They destroy things. Richard III ruled for two short years ending in his own death in battle and a ruined country. This is Trump's threat. Not the construction of a viable one-party state, but the destruction of practices, norms, civility, laws, customs, and procedures that constitute liberal democracy's non-zero-sum genius. He doesn't need to be competent to destroy our system of government. He merely needs to be himself, an out-of-control, trust-free, malignant narcissist with inexhaustible resources of psychic compulsion in a pluralist system designed for the opposite. All you need is an insatiable, pathological drive to avoid any constraint on your own behavior and the demagogic genius to carry a critical mass of people with you. And our system, designed as the antidote to tyranny, is soon unspooling into incoherence deadlock and collapse. Here is how I ended this piece. It fills me with inexpressible rage that we have been brought to this. But there is no way out now other than through. This was always going to be the moment of maximal danger and we cannot lose our focus now. I stand by every single word of that. It was obvious, absolutely obvious, who this man was and what he intended to do. He has done it all. He has destroyed precedents, norms, procedures. He has physically urged a mob to shut down democratic government. And here's the kicker. In all of this, he is supported, according to current polls, by 80% of Republicans or somewhere in that region. We'll find out as this news sinks in exactly what that is. But more important, 147 members of Congress voted to overturn a democratic result never happened any other liberal democracy in the West.
never happened here. The Republican Party is a cult dedicated to its own rule and nothing else. This is also a president who currently has the support and approval of 42% of the country, or somewhere around 40% of the country. This behavior has not affected his popularity in the slightest. It has not in the slightest dented the belief of the vast majority of members of one party that what just happened was a massive landslide for Trump that was twisted fraudulently into a victory for Biden. I don't know of any circumstance in which a liberal democracy is in more peril than this. So on that <laughs> cheerful note, and again, I apologize. I am, I'm enraged. I love this country. I believe in it. I believe in its system. I believe in its institutions. I believe that capital is a, is, is a civil sacred site that has been pillaged by these morons, fools, and fanatics. There we go. I, I, I got it off my chest. But anyway, I've invited Shadi Hamid here, uh, with whom, for whom I have enormous respect, and whose, I think his essays on the question of liberal democracy have been much more moderate and reasoned than some of his many critics have insisted. But I also think he has been absolutely dead wrong about the stability of this system. And I do not think this is the end. I think it's the beginning. So, Shadi, tell me where we agree, because I know you agree with some of that, right? Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for, thanks for having me, Andrew. It's good to be back on. I wish it was under uh, better circumstances. Um, so maybe just in the spirit of your, your monologue, I'll say the, a little bit about how I, how I felt yesterday. Um, it was also a little bit surreal because as it was happening, at, at least the early part from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m., oddly enough, I was in downtown because I had a dentist appointment. <laughs> but um, so I, I get out of the dentist appointment. And until then, I don't really know what's going on. And I see some texts that are suggestive. So, I mean, I, I wasn't expecting that, obviously. I don't think most people were. And I have to say, um, it, I had trouble processing the images. Like I think like like a lot of Americans did. I don't think I felt anger so much as dread, a sense of foreboding. And I'm not sure quite how to describe it, but that feeling that, well, I guess it is foreboding, but that feeling that something is fundamentally not right. And sometimes we feel it about ourselves and our own lives, but in this case, it's about an entire country. And I'm still trying to process the images because um, I agree with you, this is unprecedented, at least in, in modern times in America. Yeah, um, or anywhere in the West. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, maybe we'd have to go to like, uh, you know, Poland or Hungary for something comparable, but that's certainly not the bar we want to compare ourselves to. Um, so in that sense, I'll just say, look, I got some things wrong. And I think that I didn't listen to our whole podcast, which I think was about a, a month ago, but I'm sure if I did re-listen to it now, 
um, I'd be able to point to a number of places where, um, you know, I got certain things wrong. I know, I know it's not in fashion to admit that you might have been off on certain things, but it's I always will... in fashion here because uh, <laughs> we're all wrong about things. But what specifically do you think you were wrong about? So, I mean, first of all, I think I underestimated Donald Trump. And by that, I simply mean I didn't think he would go this far. And like from a rational actor perspective, which is a problematic thing to apply to someone like Donald <laughs> Trump. So I take that as a but, you know, I, I still think that most people care about their self-interest. This seems to be to have been a major miscalculation on the part of Trump, and we can talk about why I think it will turn out to be that way. So for him to act act in this manner, which seems rather self-destructive, because ultimately it has ended up pushing many influential Republicans away from him, and finally I think he tested their limits where even someone as sycophantic as Lindsey Graham has been in in the prior years, um, you know, said what he said on the Senate floor yesterday, um, or I guess two days ago when this comes out. <laughs> but um, that, you know, to, to, to push Lindsey Graham, to get Mitch McConnell to say that this was an insurrection, I mean, that's a very strong word, that shows that he provoked the response a response that will not be in his favor, will not be in his interest, and will undermine his cachet with a big chunk of the party. Now, we can unpack that, but I'll just say before that, um, so I yeah, so I didn't think Trump would go this far. The second thing is I overestimated Republicans. And in that um, <laughs> that Atlantic piece that a lot of people have been attacking me about, where I, where I talked about um, a hypothetical scenario where Trump would narrowly win the Electoral College but lose the popular vote. And I said, in that circumstance, I think a lot of Democrats and folks on the left will have trouble accepting that result. And I still stand by that. I think if we had that scenario, we would have seen mass unrest. We would have seen some violence in, in various cities across the country. And I'm not going to apologize for thinking that. Obviously, it's a hypothetical, so I can't prove it. But I think that, um, you know, uh, that would have been very hard for for the center left and left to accept, and understandably so, because it would have meant that Trump would have become president while losing the popular vote for the second time in a row. And I would have sympathized with the sense that democracy is supposed to self-correct. And in that case, it wouldn't have self-corrected. And Trump would have had another four years. I thought that was the worst case scenario for our country. And I still think that would have been the worst case scenario for our country. I agree. Yeah. So, I mean, um, but what I what I did get wrong in that piece, and, you know, honestly, I'll also just say, knowing what I know now and knowing the blowback uh, as a result of, of that piece, um, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have written it because I think I have thick skin, but I have my limits and the headache that that the attacks and many of them quite personal. And um, I thought that I, you know, had a stronger stomach for that sort of thing. But there comes a point where it's just not worth it. And the incentive structures are not conducive to writing something like that. And I, I'm not I don't think I want to write something like that That's again. That's terrible. <laughs> no, I mean, look, because it was a completely good faith argument. None of its arguments have been refuted. 
And they, what what has been done to you, I understand. It's I I I've been dealing with this for thirty years of unbelievable obloquy and and hatred. But uh, I encourage you, Shadi, because you are a reasonable person to just not let these people get to you. But I want to I want to point to what I think is the core miscalculation in what you what you said is that you talked about Trump as if it was he miscalculated his self-interest. He cannot, he has no idea, he, this is, you're describing another person. He is utterly out of control. He has no understanding of his self-interest. He cannot calculate these things. All he does ever, and this is, this is why you go back to Plato about what a tyrant is. A tyrant is not a calculating, clear-eyed, uh, political actor. He is consumed with desires and lusts and fears and paranoia that, re that actually always compels him to act completely irrationally and against his own interests. Uh, if he does it in his own interest, it is purely by accident. This is, this is a mentally ill person. He's been mentally ill clearly from the minute, uh, well, he's been mentally ill his entire life, but the pathological mental illness of this man, which removes any capacity for reason, any capacity for reason, has been evident to anyone, I think, with eyes to see for a long time. He couldn't help what he did yesterday. He's not in control of himself. It's clear now that he is it not in control of no, it's it was always no, no, look, clear. I mean, here's what I'd say. I mean, I think that he's gotten he got to where he got. I mean, he became the president, which is not a very easy thing to do in this country. He has been successful and although, you know, one can can take issue with how successful he's been in other ventures, but certainly as a TV personality and as someone who was able to brand himself and create this aura around him, at least for Republicans and his supporters, I think that shows that he actually was successful. Now, I think that generally requires some political skill and ability. He has some political talents. Now, I think where those political talents end is in where he gets in this in this sort of this circle of grievance in his own mind that he's he's unable to escape from. And that's perhaps something for a psychiatrist to look into. And um, so, look, I take your point that there is something wrong with this man. I'm not going to make a clinical judgment about, you know, what that disorder is. But I will say just in, you know, just in terms in the spirit of doing a self audit here, um, the other part I got wrong was um Overestim overestimating Republicans. And by that, I just simply mean I did not expect them to hold out this long and to indulge Trump in his election fraud fantasies to this extent. Now, um, the question is, so there's a couple things. I mean, one, if it if if the election had actually been a landslide, which I think for um, it was, according to like, Trump. Uh, yeah, right. Exactly. And it was it was in some sense a very clear victory on the popular vote. But I'm talking here that if it hadn't hinged on tens of thousands of votes in three or four states, 
and if the margins were considerably larger, as I think a lot of pollsters had predicted, and almost all actually almost all pollsters had expected, um, you know, a larger scale victory. In that case, I think it would have been very hard for Republicans to put up with the charade. the The problem is when the like when the vote totals got very close, they felt like, oh, it's close enough. We know it's not true, but let's indulge him. People like Mitch McConnell, who's extremely cynical, and um, who I think is in you know, I'll just be straight up. I think he's a really bad person. I'm not even sure I would call him a small D Democrat. Maybe now he's presenting himself in that way, and we can you know talk about the implications of his speech on the Senate floor. But these are people who are more cynical and more spineless than I had given them credit for. And, you know, that was a miss, um, a miss, an incorrect assessment on on my part where I will, though, disagree with some of what you said in, in, um, er, earlier is I'm still I still think that what we saw. What we saw the la- this week. Shows us a certain resilience in our institutions. And I, I know some people will hear that and say, Shadi, are you serious? You're going along with this whole American institutions are resilient. But the fact that this is the most severe test we've faced in modern times as a country. And you might recall last time I was on, I said that that's how we test the metal of a system. That's how we test the metal of a people, of a society. When we're threatened with something unusually frightening with exogenous shocks and you know in some ways Trump is himself an exogenous shock who has been put upon us and you know one wishes that it had never been this way but i think what we're seeing now is a rallying behind our institutions not as much as we might like in the house the republicans in the house are a bunch of clowns and i don't even know how to interpret i don't know who these people are um, and we can sort of like put them to the side. That's the part of the Republican Party that is perhaps irredeemable unless they find a way to change pretty damn quickly. But when it comes to the heart of our democracy, um, and I think what we saw on the Senate floor, so let's take the um, the vote on uh, Pennsylvania where I think it was, what, seven senators objected. That's too much. And... Um, I've lost. I was never on the Holly train. I I found some of what Holly had said on like antitrust stuff and some of the economic populism to be intriguing, but luckily I never got into the mode of sort of pretending that he was some principled person. Um, what he did, what he has shown himself to be as of late, you know, I think it speaks for itself. But that seven seven people objected. The clear majority of Republican senators rallied behind American institutions on the Senate floor after what they saw with those people storming into the Capitol when they saw what Mitch McConnell called an insurrection to his credit. As bad, you know, as bad as a duty is, he at least called it for what it was. And that that tells me that there are still elements in the Republican Party that when push comes to shove, when Trump goes to the very limit, they will for a moment put aside their cynicism and their indulgence 
of the worst aspects of the Republican Party. That gives me some hope. And I, I, I hope that we can see those speeches on the Senate floor um, after the storming of the Capitol as the moment when enough Americans of at least somewhat good faith, who knows what's really in their hearts, said, okay, we have to draw the line somewhere. And even the fact that, again, is it spineless that these people stayed with Trump in the cabinet, you know, various advisors who were talking about resigning, the deputy national security advisor Pottinger, I, I, I believe, did, did, you know, has has resigned or is trying to resign or whatever it might be. Um, so, uh, but, you know, could they have done this earlier? Um, yes. Did they wait until the very Here's end? Here's my answer to that. No. Because they're not in control. The base Republicans are in control. The voters are in control. As democracy demands that they do be in control. The, the notion that, the old Burkean notion that they really are representatives and could go against the will of their their base has um, long since been <laughs> destroyed, except for a few people like Justin Amash, who deserves a huge credit for taking a stand when it was bleeding obvious. There's been a snap poll that shows that all the, uh, the more Republicans supported storming the Capitol than didn't. Yeah. Okay. That's so the- we have... We have support for this. And again, you keep talking about this as if it's over. This is just stage one. So uh, this is this man, Trump, will not, not ever concede that he didn't win a landslide victory. And at least a quarter to a third of the country is going to believe we had a landslide election for someone that... I don't know what in their fevered imaginations who exactly orchestrated this, but invalidated it. So, so roughly a third of the country has lost complete uh, faith in democratic legitimacy. But now, that, is yeah. that not a sign of a liberal democracy in collapse? So, I mean, the fact that the major- uh, a landslide overwhelm, ma- not a dispute over a small election or that were the ch- hanging chads right or or <laughs> should they have had a full recount in Florida rather yeah. than a small recount? No, this is that this is that this was a massive conspiracy. So I'll talk I'll talk about those voters in a second. But when it, so but on the on the level of institutions, um, the clear majority of Republican senators are going against their base. Um, now, they shouldn't get credit for um, accepting the results of an election. That's a very low bar, but I better late than never. I mean, it's possible that they would have never gotten to this point. And, and also, I should say Vice President Pence, again, um, a pretty bad guy altogether, but he did resist Trump's exhortations. And um, the army, uh, when it comes to the deployment of the National Guard and the fact that um, the Defense Department um, and and others in the administration did ca- did call for the National Guard uh, National Guard um, uh, troops to come in. This shows that there are enough well-meaning Americans who might have indulged Trump for too long, but when it came to this very critical inflection point in our modern history, they resisted him, and now Trump is isolated. And the fact that he even he even um, 
you know, this morning, uh, I don't know if I'd call it a concession, but he said there will be an orderly transition on Jan- on January 20th. Again, I he doesn't deserve credit for saying something he should have said from from day one. But what it what it does show is that f- and I don't what I what I didn't like and, you know, Maybe this wasn't the right time to get into academic definitions about what's a coup and what's not a coup. And, um, you know, and I people were telling me, Shadi, you know, don't the coup issue isn't what's relevant here. Read the room. And maybe I should get better at reading the room. And maybe I should. No, you should never get ready to read the room. The job of a journalist (laughs) is not to read the room. The job of a writer is to say what he or she thinks. Right. Yeah. Look, if I'm allowed to use those two pronouns. Yeah. And I want to resist the temptation that is there every moment on Twitter and on social media to be on the right side of history in scare quotes and to just say the right thing that will appeal to the crowd. But um, and but this is not these these are not fights I was ever, you know, excited about fighting. I don't want to I mean, I don't want to be put in a position on the defensive where I where it seems like I'm making excuses for Donald Trump. And that's how it might appear to some people. I do believe, though, that this was not a coup and it was not a coup attempt. And I think that there is a specific definition that from a political science standpoint, you know, we, we use when we describe coups. Coups generally require some coordinated effort to seize an apparatus of power. These are people who got into the Capitol and then they just started strolling around and taking pictures in silly costumes. There was no plan to actually take power. Um, and The plan was to stop the vote. And they almost, I mean, if they weren't sitting until four o'clock in the morning, this morning, uh, they would have done. They'd succeeded in their core objective, which is disrupting a transition of power. And they're going to do it again on Inauguration Day. We're going to have mobs in the city. I, 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 I can't predict these things, although I certainly believe that we would have terrible violence yesterday uh, because you could see it everywhere. Um, and it's also clear that the police, the U.S. Capitol Police, hmm. were both overwhelmed, obviously, but also, and I don't want to make this accusation, but quite clearly didn't treat these people as a threat at all. And had at some of them are seen, we have videos of them taking selfies with these people, that if it really came push to shove, I don't anymore trust even the police to defend our democracy. That's how deep. Now, remember, Trump has already threatened this. He said, I've got the cops. I've got the military. We don't play tough. They're always overwhelmed. When we do play tough, we're going to play tough. He's threatened a coup. But was there ever any doubt that Joe Biden would take power. Yes. On, I mean, but so that's that's where I might disagree in the sense that that would have required such a collapse of institutions, which we we did not see and we haven't seen. I don't believe we will see it until January 20th. It's hard for me to imagine considering all the all the very specific points, thanks to the founders design in our Constitution of how an election is actually conducted and then certified. Um it's very hard to actually undo that. And, 
even after Pence was being pressured to say that, oh, as vice president, you can do X, Y, and Z, he can't. And at, at some basic level, you just can't do the things that Trump wanted to do. Now, um, but look, I, I think that- You can't, people always say you can't do these things until they are done. <laughs> you keep saying this but as they were, if there but is they, some- But they weren't done. And I mean, so- Yet. So, so are you we're saying in a dynamic situation? So you're saying there's still a chance that something like this might happen from now until inauguration day? I, I or is think it more inauguration about... day is going to be pro possibly an armed battle in the city. We will have an inauguration day in the in the nation's capital in which stores are going to be boarded up, in which we're going to have to have a curfew, which people are told to stay home. This is a third. This is a this is a banana republic at this point. Uh, now, let me just turn to the other side uh, who are decrying, rightly, violence. Uh, during this last summer, they sat by, and when buildings were being burned, when businesses were being looted, when the streets of America were in a conflagration, Nancy Pelosi said, people will do what they're going to do. The New York Times had a revolt to prevent law and order being reimposed on the, on the streets of New York City. Uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones could not today, if she were to be consistent, which of course she isn't, call this violence. At New York Magazine, I was not allowed, I literally had the word riot removed from my copy. Hmm. There is a policy at Vox Media that if you loot, smash windows, take over the streets, and do so for political purpose, it, is, it cannot be described as a riot. The media institutions I have, I've lost almost any respect for. I can't, the New York Times is, is, a, is, is increasingly an extraordinary propaganda operation. Uh, where do I go? Where does anyone go to find out what happened yesterday and trust them? Uh, the Democrats have openly argued for packing the court. Uh, they want to and may try to or reorder the situation so that, and they want this very much, so that Republican institutions like the Electoral College and the, uh, and, and the way in which the Senate is apportioned so that the middle of the country, even though outnumbered, still has clout in our, in our Senate system. Uh, they also, large numbers of them, denied the legitimacy of the 2016 election. Let's not forget that. Stacey Abrams believes that her election was invalid, that she is the rightful governor of Georgia. Uh, many leading Democrats have regarded uh, this president as illegitimate. They have regarded Kavanaugh and uh, 
uh, her name escapes me, Amy Coney Barrett, as illegitimate members of the court. This is the end of liberal democracy, Shadi. It's gone. Let's be real. It's gone. The procedures that require mutual cooperation, that liberal democracy is absolutely fundamentally based on the willingness to let your opponents win and to treat them as legitimate winners. Now, Trump has been an absolute disaster in all of this. But the idea that the left is somehow got clean hands in this is is preposterous. Well, this is where we agree for sure. Yeah, okay. Because, you know, um, as you know, I mean, I've been a pretty outspoken critic for, you know, the last four or five years, you know, in saying that um, the left and, and Democrats to various degrees never came to terms with the results of the 2016 election. And we don't have to kind of, you know, rehash the various examples of, say, Hillary Clinton calling it a stolen election until fairly recently in 2019. And, you know, accusations coming from pretty senior figures like Harry Reid about um, the Russians tampering with the vote tally, so on and so forth. The and number of people I know and socialized with who, when push comes to shove, really believe the last election in 2016 was a fraud, uh, is innumerable. <laughs> I mean, they, I mean, I've occasionally get into a slight conversation. No, these people are completely conspiratorial about that. They have the added dose of claiming treason and in league with a foreign power. My former colleague, John Chade at New York Magazine, said that Trump could have been a Soviet agent since 1987. <laughs> I remember that was a uh, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, again, no legitimacy given. And now, I happen to think the Mueller investigation was completely legitimate in as much as if there is a real question here, and there are real questions, it should be investigated. Uh, and it was, and, but, but not without most of our major institute, media institutions propagating conspiracy theories that were truly unhinged. Yeah, and so on this point, I mean, both sides are hypocritical when it comes to respecting democratic outcomes. And for me, this is a non-negotiable. There's something to be said for the sanctity of democratic outcomes. When you stop respecting them, democracies crumble. That's. I, but I also do not, I don't want to make a... a to positive moral equivalency between what happened on the Capitol um, and what some Republicans, especially in the House, have been doing. That's worse than what Democrats did Absolutely. in 2016 and 2017. Absolutely. And I, I think we all have to be very clear about that. I, I, I have been clear about that yeah, no, I, for a long I'm time. I'm just saying yeah. because people, if people doubt that you know, on my end, I just want to make that clear. But there is, there is a lot of hypocrisy to go around and um, I didn't I don't I don't feel very comfortable bringing up the riots in various cities over the summer because that that does strike me. There's a risk of going into what about um, But there is an inconsistency here that um, le leftists or Democrats who are calling for a very stern response from uh, you know, security forces and from the police as if they want the police to shoot into crowds 
I mean, um, where they would have never suggested doing that for unrest and violence and property damage in other circumstances. They they celebrated it. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, that inconsistency. We had. So the question is, the fact that everyone seems, or many people seem hypocritical and inconsistent. I should also say that it bothers me when I see Republicans or Trump supporters who I follow on Twitter and who are, you know, sometimes reasonable and all that, when they say, oh, well, Democrats did that to us after the last election. They didn't accept the results then. So why should we accept the results now? Which is an absurd, logical stream of thinking to me, because if you thought it was bad then, wouldn't you want to redouble your opposition to it when you see it the second time around? I mean, this is it's such a weird way of looking at politics. Um, and to, it is incompatible with liberal democracy. You, I don't want, look, there's democracy and there's liberal democracy, right? So in some ways, what the Democrats want is to get rid of the liberal part of democracy. They would like to get majorities, abolish the filibuster, pack the courts, add new states uh, to, to permanently alter. And again, if you look also in the last 50 years on gerrymandering, this is not about liberal democracy. This is about tribal warfare. Um, our Congress does almost nothing, is incapacitated. It can barely pass an annual budget without risks of shutting down everything every year. It, it's, it has not had a substantive piece of legislation that really made a difference since Obamacare, which, as you know, uh, was never accepted. Uh, and uh, again, these things are not because of rational arguments. They're, they're about feelings of very profound nature. Uh, the things I've heard among my liberal friends about what they would like to happen to the red states, uh, they bad. certainly loathe Amer those parts of America more than they despise China, Russia, any dictatorship. Uh, they hate these people. I have friends also yep. who live in Mississippi where literally in his town, no, he's never seen someone with a mask. It doesn't exist. To believe it exists is to acquiesce to uh, lefties, uh, and among whom there is no controversy that this was a landslide for Trump that was taken away from them. Uh, I, 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 and now we have an old Democrat government now. That's one thing we know. We have control of the Senate. I mean, very, very narrow control of the Senate, the narrowest possible. Uh, we have a reduce, and again, after four years of Trump, let me remind you, the Republicans did better. Uh, what I find truly remarkable is that most Americans, or most Republicans, don't see anything wrong with the way Trump has conducted himself constitutionally. That the, we found out in the last. Uh, five years that the general public 
has no concept of constitutional democracy at all. Uh, what institutions do we have left that have national legitimacy? Not the Congress, not the president, certainly not the court. Uh, all of which... Just the military. The military... Which yes. isn't exactly encouraging. You don't want the military to be the one institution that has um, like an overwhelming majority of support and the elected institutions don't. But, you know, but, that's but, another... the, but the average soldier, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know how to, I, I don't have enough knowledge, but one definitely gets the feeling that, well, one hopes to God that that remains the same way. But I, I certainly saw in the police reaction to what happened yesterday, staggering uh, indifference. I don't think they were just, I mean, they were obviously overwhelmed, but then you ask yourself, well, why were they overwhelmed? Because no one in the higher reaches of the U.S. Capitol Police believe these kinds of people are a threat. Even though they've got fucking arms, we're, we're, we're bragging about open carry in this city. Um, we're using rhetoric to overthrow the government which had already told us they were going to storm the Capitol. I mean, this was, and <clears throat> our police was like, yeah, all right. Uh, well, we'll just have a, we'll have, have you seen the video, there's three people, I think there may be four or five cops around a flimsy barrier. But there were also, I mean, at, on the other hand, let's consider the alternative of the police having used considerable force and let's say started shooting into crowds of hundreds of people. I'm um, saying shooting. Well, or using rubber bullets or, yeah. or and injuring, you know, dozens and dozens of people in pretty serious ways. And already some, I, I, I don't know the full circumstances of, Certainly, one per, one one person was killed on there in the Capitol, and there by seems the, to be several others. Sorry, by the yeah, cops. yeah, exactly, yeah. So you don't necessarily also. I mean, I can imagine a situation where brute force was used, and you have um, you know loss, significant loss of life or injury, and then these people make themselves make themselves out to be martyrs. Republicans rally behind them. So we also, you know. Um, they invaded yeah, yeah. But we don't the want... most sacred place of our democracy. But I also don't think that... They were let out. No one was arrested on the way out. Yes, we should prosecute... Yeah. And they won't be. Yes, that, and that, that is... That's I mean, how can... Not embarrassing. It's, uh, it's more than embarrassing. I can't imagine for any other functioning... Western democracy yeah. that would allow a mob to ransack the most sacred part of their uh, democracy and then politely escort them out the door after they have vandalized and usurped it. I mean, I, you know, I I've been a fierce critic of demonization of the police. I think they definitely need reform, but I don't think ACAB. Uh, but man, has this not shown that there's some truth yeah. to that? That, they, that, that? that Do you think for a second that these have been Muslims, terrorists, for example, who had invaded the capital, 
that they would have been, first of all, that there would have been almost no defenses. And secondly, having invaded, they would be escorted out of the building and let go. How many arrests there's been? 13. If someone so much as jaywalks in the wrong place at the U.S. Capitol Police, in, in the U.S. Capitol, they'll, they'll be on you like a, you know. I mean, this was facilitated by the police. And that shows you, I mean, let's just say a lot of it was obviously overwhelmed. But again, yeah. that's not an excuse. It means that the people didn't take this seriously. That the, the mayor of D.C., Bowser, this useless person, uh, originally told the feds a couple of days ago, don't worry, it's going to be fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I, I, if I were Al-Qaeda, if I were ISIS, I now know how to get into the capital. If, if, if just simply a handful of terrorists had wanted to assassinate all the congressmen, they could have walked right in with those people. Yeah, yeah. There were people with guns at the door defending the entire representative in both Senate and House. I mean, it, I don't know. I, I don't. I, and and uh, I, it's a real mystery. And, I, you know, I really I don't I don't understand it. And hopefully there'll be some more clarity about it going forward on, on the bigger point of where we go from now. I just w one thing you said earlier about this sort of this issue of the endless polarization where each side escalates and what we do about that. I mean, first of all, liberal democracy versus democracy. I'll just say that I don't believe humans naturally incline towards liberalism. I feel <laughs> so. And I think we're, we're learning and we're seeing how and, and why that it, you know, there is a tribal instinct, which is very much at the heart of so many of us, even though, you know, most of us are born and raised, uh, you know, in this country or have lived here for long periods of time. So you'd think that certain norms would be inculcated, but we've seen that they can be reversed and we can lose those things rather quickly. Children now, are now being educated, not in the civics of the Constitution, but in the inherent white supremacy that that shows that America is at, that all of American constitutional democracy is a fraud. They're being told that in, in, in elementary school at this point. They're not being told anything about uh, the constitutional order as we have understood it. They're not being taught any history anymore, except the history of the oppression of their people. I mean, I'm exaggerating somewhat, obviously, but that's the emphasis. Uh, uh, so one tribe has also taken over the educational system to unravel civic understanding of the whole system. We have a media system now with social media especially and with Fox News and OAN and uh, putting out completely delusional alternative viewpoints. None of our major institutions has broad democratic legitimacy. <laughs> it's done. And it will get worse. I mean, let's look, let's go forward for a second. Let's see what's what's Trump going to do from now on, right? What's he going to do on inauguration day? What are those people going to do on inauguration day? What are they going to do after? Uh, Biden, Biden, 
Biden is going to be crippled. Uh, and the thing about Biden, although I'm I'm a I'm a big fan and I, and I supported him and I think he was the right person, but he's not a galvanizing figure. He's not strong. He uh, he did a great thing yesterday. I'm not saying I'm saying this for him not because I don't like him or I don't want him to succeed. I really do. I just worry that he does not have that energy and steel to command a national consensus. I agree with you there. And I, I think that, you know, maybe to his credit, though, he's at least not ideologically polarizing. He's not some woke warrior or whatever who's going to just go around um alienating as as many people as he can um obviously but he's appointed he, a whole range of people who will yeah well, yeah and we'll have to see how how the far some of those priority, they've already passed a bill in the house <laughs> their first priority was removing gendered language from the house rules so you can no longer say that in the house rules itself oh yeah i saw the that word, like the he, word aunt and her been uncle removed. it's like has to be parent sibling uh because Mother and father as concepts are, are oppressive, according to critical gender theory. And so, and it passed. Uh, so, so we know, and we also know that, 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 that symbolically they're going to be giving these people more ammunition, I, I fear. Yeah. I mean, before this, I would have been sympathetic to the idea of Democrats, you know, using just raw power to push certain things through. And we might disagree on that. But I think that, you know, one lesson of recent years is that when Republicans have power, they use their power to the full legal limit. They do anything they can do to push their agenda forward. And I think it was reasonable for some Democrats to say, we're not going to unilaterally disarm. I understand. And we're not. Why should we be magnanimous if we actually legally and through the democratic process win the Senate uh, more than the current margin, which is obviously too slim to do a whole lot? Um, why not try to do certain things that we otherwise couldn't do and use our time and power to do so? In light of recent events, I'm more and more moving away from that position what I think the priority really does have to be being magnanimous in power, that we know that one of two major parties in this country are not committed Democrats, or at least a big chunk of the party aren't committed small d Democrats. So we only got two parties. If one, if we can't count on one, we don't really have a lot of choices here. Then the right. other one. I know. The other one has to try to dial it down. And that is, I mean, I don't I don't see what the alternative is for people saying that, you know, we have to punish Republicans or try to expel certain people from Congress and prosecute this person and that person um, or focus on doing the 25th Amendment or impeachment. Now, I actually I think Trump deserves to be impeached now, I think. This is uh, he deserve you know, maybe if this was a year ago, we could say the 25th Amendment, let's consider it. But there's two weeks um, until inauguration. And I just don't know if the right approach is to escalate and to punish. 
And I just worry about that backfiring to say nothing of what you know we as Democrats do after January 20th. But I think the priority has to be when you have permanent endless polarization where there's an escalatory ladder where it keeps on going. The only solution I just I see to the dilemma that you're pointing out, Andrew, that we I'm not if, if we want to be at least somewhat more optimistic about our future as Americans, someone has to stop this cycle. Is that fair? I mean, I agree with you, basically. Yeah. Um, but I think but I fear let's say I fear because I, I I'm not a not clairvoyant. Well, actually, you are. I haven't been too bad in that <laughs> uh, looking at just the basics of what's going on. Um, but I am also a bit of a drama queen, I know. So I, I, I don't want to catastrophize too much. Um, and uh, But it does seem to me that a lot of the pressure, a lot of the energy, and certainly the entire media is going to be pushing left, 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 left. Now, on some economic issues, I think that's a completely legitimate position given where we are in terms of our inequalities, uh, in terms of the devastation of... Uh, but at the same time, I also um, know the worldview of these people and its contempt for liberal democracy. It really is uh, of the left flank. I mean, there are still liberal Democrats in the Democratic Party, but... Uh, and I, I hope they will prevail, but we'll see. Um, I've, I've, I've read people I've read for years, and, and the, radical, the radicalization in the last few years has been really quite extraordinary. Um, and I, I, I fear we're going to have, I don't know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens, I, as Donald Trump constantly says. But I don't think Trump's going away. I think he, because I can't, I think he's going to be, again, it's not just, uh, he's not claiming he was just cheated out of a few votes here or there. He's claiming he won a landslide. Um, that's a very hard thing. But I think he's also fatally, I mean, I hope, and this might be me being too hopeful about things that will not happen, but... I, there's a part of me that does hope that this will have fatally undermined or significantly, let's just to be a little bit more careful, significantly undermined Donald Trump and his future political prospects. I mean, I, and as a free speech near absolutist, I would have never before today said that I think Facebook or Twitter should block Trump from tweet, uh, tweeting or posting. You know what? Fuck it. They did the right thing. Facebook is a private company. If this guy is in a, incite violence, block him. And I'm not, you know, I do think the incitement of violence is a is a red line for free speech, uh, especially when it's imminent and you're addressing the crowd that is about to storm the Capitol. Um, yeah, that's not free speech. I don't know if this would reach the legal bar because gen generally you have to target, you know, you have to be very specific yeah. in targeting. But, you know, a private company doesn't have to have that same very high legal bar. And just just there have to be consequences for Donald Trump's actions. But the fact now that McConnell kind of gave him the smackdown on the Senate floor and, and Lindsey Graham, belatedly, of course, um, that 
if Republicans or at least senior Republicans continue this distancing, that could actually make it very difficult for Trump to come back in four years and to try to run for do this whole thing again. I mean, can you imagine another four years of Trump from what would that be? 20, 2024 to 2028. God help us if that happened. I mean, that to me is is a pretty scary prospect. Um, the hope now, and I think what we all have to be encouraging in whatever way we can is to make sure Trump does not recover from this. But I also think that from a you know when it comes to the entire political spectrum can we can i just say yeah, oh, that sure that sentence has been said a million times oh, sorry which which one trump will not recover from this uh i mean god i hope you're right but you you and i are not in this universe you know we, we're looking from the outside uh it could make him stronger but haven't we seen that americans don't seem to respond well to so when it comes to like the 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 woke not most woke most to, to be fair to woke people some of them are my friends and i just i don't want to be like mean mean or inaccurate here most woke people don't support violence there is a minority of wokes who do um rationalize and even sometimes celebrate it as 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 you said and um but that well let me just give Nicole Hannah-Jones, who is the most powerful person at the New York Times, who, can, <laughs> who, who no one can cross, uh, tweeted out that, that she was proud that uh, the rioters of last summer had scrawled 1619 on some of their vandalism. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. Absolutely proud of violence. And we saw the entire New York Times newsroom remove an editor for simply one defense of law and order. Yeah, yes. And I think that what we saw is that Americans don't respond well to that kind of, you know, this winking when it comes to violence. And that's, I think, one reason. The New York Times is unbelievably successful right now. Yeah, in terms of its core demographic, but Americans writ large. I mean, numbers, just in numbers and money. But I don't think it's... These woke institutions are, the Washington Post, too, are just... They're, they're, you know, they're, they've never been this as popular as they now are. But it's not popular with Americans. The resort to violence is still something that most Americans look at, and even a growing number of minorities. And that's, I think, one potential reason why um, significantly larger numbers of minorities voted for Trump this time around, especially Hispanics, but also Arabs, Muslims, and and black black men to some extent. I mean, is that? There actually isn't a lot of support in these minor, minor, minority communities for breaking shit and, no, and destroying support property. among the elites. Elites, exactly. But I think what we'll see here is that um, as more Americans see what these people storming the Capitol did and the resort to chaos and, and, and violence, and they're going to say, I hope, and again, I could be wrong here, but my hope, and I think what I expect with at least some Americans, they're going to look at that and say, I don't support an insurrection in the Capitol. Will there be a hardcore base of Trump supporters that will never um, diverge from their support? Yes. Um, but I just can't see this helping Republicans in the suburbs, for example. Do like do um, I don't know what they're called, like mommy wine 
suburban mob, <laughs> whatever the, the, that constituency is, do they look at storming the Capitol and say, yes, we want more of that? No, they don't, because a lot of them actually shifted towards Biden last time around. I mean, what we know is that um, it was actually white folks who turned away yeah. from Trump and Trump didn't win a, anything close to a majority of minorities, but minorities did go in his direction mm -hmm. compared to 2016. Mm -hmm. So these dynamics are still in play. And I think Georgia, let's not forget the fact that Asif and, and Warnock won. Thank God. I mean, I don't know how you feel about that, but I, I'm happy that um, Democrats now have um, now have control. Very, I'm relieved, too. Um, very much relieved. Yeah. The, the, the broader context of this, which maybe we should finish on, is is uh, just the unbelievable incompetence of American public institutions. We, as a country, I think of, I'm trying to think, who is more incompetent, the Centers for Disease Control or the U.S. Capitol Police? I mean, this country is now in the midst of a horrifying epidemic that, we're, that, that even now we have vaccines. Our own governments are incapable of adequately distributing them. We have a military that does nothing but lose wars or create new ones around the world. Uh, we have an immigration service that has no control whatsoever of immigration, a completely open border to all intents and purposes that is about to, we are going to get a massive wave of new illegal immigrants uh, under Biden. I mean, it, 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 that's going to happen. Um, uh, we have a medical system that clearly has some excellent parts of it, but America's health is among the worst in the West. Uh, I, I'm just trying to think of public institutions I trust. Uh, I, I'm at a loss. Where do, who do I trust in this country? Who do I trust? And uh, I'm glad you brought I mean, even Anthony Fauci, who has been a hero of mine for many years, who I've known decades back in the AIDS epidemic when I was. Oh, you, you knew him personally? Oh, okay. absolutely. Yeah. I mean, anybody involved in AIDS back then knew this guy and he, he, he was, didn't, wasn't great immediately, but he listened and he really helped. And he's a great man. And twice this year, he's directly lied to us. Which, and I just so if I can't trust Tony Fauci to tell the truth, uh, I, 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 who am I supposed to trust? Which raises an interesting question that even people who are good and moral, because I do believe Fauci is a good moral he's man, an incredibly decent and de yeah, person. But as you said, he has said some uh, no. Some people justified it as noble lies, which are just, I guess, lies. Um, and 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 we've seen that, and he was wrong on certain things early on. And so it does it does worry me that even people who are experts and well qualified and good people seem to get very big questions wrong. And it's not just the U.S. If we look at the response to COVID throughout Europe, and these were supposed to be more competent, efficient bureaucracies. God help us. The, the, the French vaccine rollout is the biggest shit show I've seen. 
you know, where they came up with this like random citizens committee of 35 people to kind of come up with vaccine rollout recommendations. This is sheer madness. Well, my, my point about the CDC yeah. is that the, 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 from the very, very beginning, they botched their own test. Yes. And didn't copy to it. Uh, has anybody been fired? Will anybody be fired from the U.S. Capitol Police? We'll see. I think, I think this guy's son, I think his name is, is, is going to go, has to go. Um, no, I actually did think of an institution oh. that I trust. Um, I think the Fed has done a pretty good job. Oh, good point. Yes, that's of right. Preventing an economic collapse, and I think actually the the CARES Act um, prevented another economic collapse. So the so the Congress actually passing that act, and I really should say that did a, did a pretty good job. Um, but that they were forced to the brink. Uh, of a government shutdown again before they could renew it in any way is kind of tells you where we are. Um, but I watched Fox News last night. Oh yeah, just, that's what that, that's that's where I go if I want to find <laughs> out what's happening. How because, crazy was it? Uh, or or was it actually not as crazy as you might have expected? You can see they are uncomfortable with violence. Oh good. Um, because uh, yeah, but. Tucker led with the martyrdom of the young woman. That's his lead. Wait, did he, did he use the word martyr? Uh, that would be interesting. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think, but that was his lead. Oh, okay, yeah, that's how he led. Um, he insisted on the validity of the fraud. Um, he portrayed it all as us versus them. He said, "This is a consequence of the elites." despising the American people and overturning democratic majority. I mean, Hannity was slightly better, actually. I mean, huh. I, I mean, after Hannity, I just had to go. I just couldn't take anymore. I had to take a Xanax. Um, but they are still full on. This was a massive fraud. There will not be any change in that. They will propagate the landslide victory that Trump and, and deem everything that Biden does as essentially illegitimate and demand that their party obstruct absolutely everything. Uh, and again, that's also a sign that liberal democracy is over. They can't pass anything. And Biden's going to try, I think, with the Senate. Um, but who knows? Um, I, 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 I guess... The fact that he won't be our president in a couple of weeks' time does give me some relief because I do think Trump has been a reagent, a sort of chemical reagent to the dis disintegration of American liberal democracy. He makes everything and everyone worse than we would otherwise be. He yeah. brings out he brings out a darkness, and um, and I guess again I don't want to be hopeful because pessimism seems like it's a better way to approach life and politics going forward. But if if I could just be vaguely optimistic, it is if we remove the number one chaos agent only in the sense you'll still be in public life, but at least he won't be at the seat of power, that that will somehow have ripple effects on the way we debate on society. I know people are saying, well, look, I mean, the wokes are still doing what they're doing, and they, they'll probably be even more emboldened when Biden takes office. We'll have to wait and see how that plays out. 
I mean, my hope is that you remove something from this equation and something changes about how we as Americans talk to each other and see the other. And maybe we won't see everyone else as an enemy. Although, again, based on how based on Twitter and seeing the last the last couple of weeks, I guess that's probably not going to happen on Twitter. <laughs> well, Twitter it's is not real, completely distorted. But and most it's not real life. Saying. And, you know, you hope that there is something about real life that is different from, I guess, what Ross Douthat calls dream politic. And it's interesting. I mean, obviously, this is a topic for a different a different day that the dream politic thesis of is it better to have people better to have people channeling their grievances online and on Twitter and that distracts them from real politics. Obviously we've seen the limits of that because some people who are doing dream politics, a minority of them decided to go to the Capitol. And that's a danger of a very big country. Even if the majority of people stay behind their uh, keyboards, all you need is a small number to disrupt things. Um, I hope that the wokes will, uh, at least a good chunk of them, will spend their time in Twitter fights and not get too involved on, in local politics or like changing school curriculums. But they have done ready quite a Are bit of that, me? I guess, right? But may, but hopefully... The, mean, the, the key objective, abolition of all grading. Yeah, that's happened in a number of places. All grading. Yeah. Because, I mean... Watching what's being done to the education system, the inculcation of racism as a important thing to believe in uh, for children. Um, you got to remember that the the best sell I think may, maybe not the best selling book, but uh, an out outright. Uh, can I call it? I well, yeah. I mean, I think Kendi is uh, about as illiberal as it's possible to get. Um, that the left and all of corporate America forced millions of people to read that piece of shit. Sorry, um, because it's self-evidently true. The American Bar Association put out their list for dealing with questions of race. All of it, Marxist uh, critical race theory. Um, I don't think they're going to, I think they think they're about to win and they will win. Um, uh, and I, I think Trump is going to continue to do that. And I think the Democrats are going to give them enough ammunition. I, I Maybe not. Maybe this the one hope is that this horrifying event somehow breaks the fever, somehow makes us realize, oh, fuck. Um, and, and there the, are some signs of that early on. Again, like we don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but there are some early indications that some people are just snapping into it mm -hmm. and realizing that something is fundamentally wrong. Um. And we'll have to see if that continues. And, I, you know, you worry with the kind of cycle of news that we have that people feel things on one day, but then they forget about it in a week or two and things go back to normal. And maybe maybe it was a moment like this that was so unusual and so unprecedented that it will be impossible to forget. I mean, and also the imagery here is so powerful. I for Certainly for me, I won't forget the images I saw 
um, when I was following the news when this was um, unfolding. And um, perhaps the argument would be about American institutions is that Americans, Americans suck a lot of the time, but when our backs are against the wall and things really get to the edge, we find a way to stump, to stumble through or muddle through and actually do what's necessary. I mean, when I when I think about the resilience of American With institutions, one obvious exception, wait, wait, wait. seven hundred thousand people murdered each other in this country in the eighteen sixties. I mean, th th this country uh, oh. has, uh, I mean. Post Civil War. <laughs> let's 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 just avoid that particular moment. <laughs> well, I, I, in or in the 1970s when we had you know domestic bombs going off every uh, every few days, um, and we got through it, and and um, our institutions were not permanently damaged. And maybe in some, I mean, obviously they were weakened, Nixon and and Watergate and all that, but our democracy continued. And um, I guess my hope would just simply be that um, there is some reason to believe in this country still. Um, and maybe this is wishful thinking because I want this country. I love this country so much. So perhaps this is, you know, I'm not I'm biased here because I'm, I'm sort of projecting my wishes on onto reality. Um, but I think it's worth believing in this country and that some of our that our institutions some of them can and will be resilient. And I, I don't know what else we can do but besides believe that, because if we lose faith in that and if we say, if we give up hope in our institutions and as some on both sides of the divide have done, attacking our institutions and undermining them and eroding trust in them, I just, I don't see how that's gonna be a positive way forward. So some of this is gonna be projection and wishful thinking. But that will also maybe help us do what is necessary to rejuvenate the, our institutions going forward. My analogy, I wrote an essay about this um, a couple of years ago, is that the each moment in which these norms are breached, in which these, these crises or whatever shift, so we now have a precedent that every presidential election from now on is going to be challenged, that we're going to have demonstrations that the election will be the beginning of a fight, the transition of power. That's my fear. Um, I mean, the Roman Republic is the obvious example. You know, Rome didn't collapse after the Republic disappeared. Uh, it continued as an empire, but it was not a, a, a Republic in any form or shape. We've already created a presidency that is would be unrecognizable to the founders. Uh, and tribal leaders it's going to be the tribal leaders who are going to be representing the two parties and they're going to go to war and and the only and they're the people who are going to win the primary elections um and i mean do you think anyone other than biden could have won out of the people who ran mm. um i don't know he's I not mean, really a tribal leader i mean he's a he's a democrat but he's a He's he is the last gasp of the tradition of liberal democracy in the United States, but and also a weak candidate. So I can imagine someone who's you know center left, centrist, not particularly polarizing, who's more charismatic, i.e., someone like Obama. I mean, there are people who could have done better than than Biden, and I hope that we'll have those options going forward. 
um, I don't know if I mentioned this last time. It's it seems like forever ago, um, but uh, you know I I did actually support Bernie in the primaries. We don't have to. I mean, we don't have to get into why. That's that's a different discussion. Um, you know, uh, and I don't know what he would he have done better with different constituencies versus not. I don't know. I think in retrospect. I think with COVID and everything that was going on, it, it made sense to have someone like Biden who um, promised a return to normalcy, because I think that's what is normal good enough. Do we have, you know, uh, fundamental uh, structural problems that Trump is only a symptom of and not the cause of? Yes. But I guess I've come more around to the come around to the view more over time, especially since the pandemic started that we're all exhausted um, and we need just some some pretense of normalcy, even if it's not full normalcy and we have other crazy people in the administration, to have a kind of boring, unoffensive person as president. I think that's, I'm just tired, I'm exhausted. And I think you wrote that piece really early on, what was the madness of King George or King mm -hmm. Donald? that a president who's always in our minds and infiltrating our thoughts and we can't escape his presence. We need a president who doesn't infiltrate our thoughts yeah, and absolutely. who's just a little bit unobtrusive, who hides in basements. <laughs> I'll take it. I, I, I'll take it. I, 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 I love it. I, I can't wait. The other two things on the end on a somewhat optimistic note is that, that I think Biden is going to benefit, obviously, from the vaccination and the return yeah. to normal life, there's going to be a collective exhilaration. I think around that, I'm going to certainly, the minute I can get vaccinated and operate in my life, um, uh, I think that there, that, 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 uh, there will also be, simply by virtue of the built-up demand, the savings rate, which is through the roof right now, you have a lot of spending in the economy in yeah. the second half of the year. Um, in other words, we're going to have the end of an epidemic and the beginning of a boom. And, and when you look at what happens after epidemics like this in the past, you know, the Roaring Twenties is an obvious example, but there have been many uh, incidences, first of all, of extraordinary hedonism that will emerge because we've all been. And I hope um, some decrease in the hideous impact of this epidemic on people with addiction, people with depression, uh, that it's really, the, and the lockdown itself, if it is removed, will, uh, will, will help people recover from what is also an, un, un, you know, not unprecedented, but really brutal epidemic that has forced us all into these hideous circumstances. And I think my one hope at the beginning of Trump was that by the end of it, if we, I didn't know whether we would get through it, is that he would be treated as a cautionary tale. That we will refer to Trump in the future as if anybody does something like that, they'll be accused of, of being like a Trump and that we will have at least a majority of the country that have internalized that. And these scenes, these, these horrible scenes and his madness these last, uh, I mean, he's, the, the fact that he would not say anything yesterday except to say, you're right, God bless you, <laughs> uh, but don't, don't, no more violence, please, even though he refused to ascend in the National Guard. Uh, compare that to what he was doing when they were peacefully protesting in Lafayette Square. Um, so 
uh, we should have some hope. I have hope. No optimism, but hope. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the country is incredibly resilient in many ways. The country, not the system. Um, and we may begin to patch the system back together. You just have to, the only way out of this is to keep, is to return to normal precedents and rules of order and procedures punctiliously, I think. But this is a wound that will, will, will take, will certainly last beyond our lifetimes. This is a, this is a precedent set. And the precedency set that you, as a president, you don't have to in any way be accountable to Congress. <laughs> you don't have to recognize the Congress's uh, 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 control of, 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 of spending. You, you, you can uh, unilaterally, by tweet, conduct foreign policy, um, and so on and so forth. Uh, that, that will, with any luck, oh, well, you're doing what Trump did. You're doing what Trump did in the future. That's my hope. That this and and happily this week I think helps that case. Oh, for sure, because yeah. it gives us a vivid understanding of the lunacy and extremism that this man has been incubating and fermenting. Well, Shadi, I, you know, coming on after you've been so spectacularly wrong about so many things <laughs> <laughs> takes a certain amount of balls. And I, but I obviously I'm exaggerating, but. Uh, so great to have you on. So great to chat. Yeah, and, thanks. Um, thanks for having me. This is, and I'm I'm glad we did this because I feel more, if not optimistic, at least hopeful right now than I did at the start of our conversation. Just talking through these things with you. So I appreciate that. I feel better too. It's a good therapy. Yeah, really, but we um, need that. And the one thing I would ask you to do is please, please don't take any notice of these motherfuckers. Thank you. Know, you. They I are appreciate that. They are designed psychologically to hurt you. <laughs> They they have an amazing sense of your weaknesses and your vulnerabilities, and they exploit them mercilessly. One day you'll have to tell uh, me how you do it, how you sort of like withstand all the attacks and, and bullshit that you get. Because I get it, but I think you get it quite a bit. You get it at a level which I can only imagine. So It's, it's awful. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I have very thick skin. But, you know, I've... One of my deep, one of my deepest convictions is that every human being is equal to every other human being. This is like a foundational belief, and to be casually called someone by people who work for the New York Times, the New Yorker, uh, the crudest form of racist who will use the N word, and, and these are not crazy people. These are people at the commanding heights of American journalism, uh, and it's just. Yes, it hurts me incredibly. And I have underlying depression issues, and I have to be extremely careful that I don't internalize this too much, even though you internalize it to some extent. Um, but, you know, I think after being vilified by the gay left fighting for marriage equality and opposing outing people, for example, uh, that experience when I was desperate to help my brothers and did everything I could to be called literally the Antichrist 
to write a memoir about AIDS and have it been <laughs> reviewed by the Lambda Literary Review with the words, if you hate gay men, you will love this book. This stuff is... Antichrist seems a bit much. <laughs> a little, little bit much. Uh, uh, but it's okay. It's part of what you have to go through, I think. I, I don't know why it's so personal with me. Um, but I have to take it as some sort of awful compliment. And the other thing you have to also do is ask yourself, and I do this probably too much, are they right? Hmm. What have I, what am I, you know, what have I done or said that someone might have thought? And most of the time, certainly with Twitter and stuff, there's nothing. It's all just hatred um, but, uh, and jealousy, if I'm being honest. Hmm. <laughs> uh, but... Um, I don't care what they say about me as long as it is not true. That's, that's, that's a good approach. Yeah, uh, if I like it's that. true, if there's some element of truth in it, then it's your duty, uh, certainly as a Catholic, for me to think about that hard and to ask myself, have I slipped? Have I? Um, but I don't know. I think next this year, by the way. Um, finally going to actually produce a collection of my pieces, which is 32 years of essays um, coming out, I hope, in September. Oh, great. Look forward to that. Um, okay. and, I, and I, the reason for doing that is simply because I think if you actually read what I've written for 30 years, this, this vilification doesn't make as much sense. It's because it's, I haven't been that person. And... Uh, um, Anyway, I'm sure that will be another opportunity. I mean, one of, the, one of the things I couldn't get out of bed the last few, a few days ago uh, was because the thought of putting that out there and having another round of this mm. uh, vilification um, uh, and being fired for it, remember? Yeah. <laughs> By people who had no complaints about the quality of my work um, is, is tough. Your pub and then to be put on the front page of the New York Times and called a white supremacist was really quite something too. <laughs> oh, you actually, well, you were on the front? No, ben, ben Smith's profile. Oh, the me. profile, yes, I remembered, yeah. Uh, anyway, I've just been whining and I maybe we'll edit that out. Uh, <laughs> thank you for the empathy. And I just, but I, I, I've been through no, this. I, I know where you are and, I, and I'm sorry. And no, no, I appreciate that. I think it's thank really you, yeah. hard, especially now we're all so isolated. Uh, you can't go out with a whole bunch of your friends to a restaurant and have a nice meal and booze up and have fun. You know, we can't do any of that. So it all sits and percolates. Don't, don't, don't. All right. Yep. Lots of love to all the dish heads out there. Thanks for listening. Um, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.